This is Crane's Daily Gist. I'm Amy Guth. Today on the podcast, the U.S. Treasury hands out $2.9 billion to airlines and says there's more to come. We'll talk about that and other stories coming up on the podcast today. But first, this word from our sponsor. Your health and well-being are top of mind right now, and that includes your financial security. Wintrust Mortgage can help. They provide refinance solutions so you can take advantage of low rates to reduce payments. And they have the sophisticated technology to let you go through the process conveniently from home. Uncertainty can add stress to an already tense time. Rely on Wintrust Mortgage. Visit wintrustmortgage.com slash refi. Wintrust Mortgage is a division of Barrington Bank and Trust Company, N.A., and MLS number 449042, equal housing lender. Businesses looking for help in navigating the COVID-19 crisis should check out Small Business Lifeline, a new weekly podcast from Cranes. Every Thursday, the free Small Business Lifeline will offer expert advice and information on accessing needed resources during the crisis. Listen to Small Business Lifeline at chicagobusiness.com slash SBL. Cook County Health is addressing the COVID crisis without a permanent CEO, CFO, or head of public health. Revenue is taking a hit, and the jail is a national hotspot of the virus. Earlier today, I spoke with Crane's politics and government reporter, A.D. Quigg, and she explained how turmoil at the top has affected Cook County's COVID response. Here's our conversation. So I have been following Cook County government for about four years, and I'm interested in following it because it serves as kind of a safety net government for the indigent, for the poor. Um, a lot of commissioners joke that you only interact with county government when you're at your lowest, so sick at the hospital or in the court system or for some reason interacting with the jail. And I'd been hearing for weeks about the revenue impact that this would have on local governments and thinking hard about how stressed Cook County Health, which is not only a, a series of hospitals and clinics, but also a Medicaid-managed care program program, and they also operate the health system at the jail, thinking, well, the jail is essentially a petri dish. This is going to have a a big impact on them, which we're seeing play out now. They're considered a a national hotspot for the virus. So I wanted to kind of dig into how the county is responding through the lens of Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, who is the executive of county government, but doesn't have complete direct control over everything. There are a ton of separately elected officials at the county that are in charge of a lot of things, but she is still kind of the, the figurehead of county government, and we're not seeing her out and about as much as we're seeing Governor Pritzker, who is having these every single day, 2.30 p.m. must-watch press conferences, and Lori Lightfoot, who is out at pretty much 1 p.m. every day, either shutting something down or coming out with a new program or scaring the people of Chicago into staying into their homes. So I wanted to kind of explore how, how she is confronting this and how the jail or and how county is particularly vulnerable to the fallout of COVID. What stuck out to you is most striking in that discovery process? Well, something that I've been following for a while that I figured would hamper them is turnover at the top of Cook County Health. So in November, the independent board that governs Cook County Health unanimously decided to get rid of their CEO, Dr. Jay Shannon, who had been working at Cook County Health as a as a physician for a quarter of his life and had been confronting financial issues at Cook County Health for some time. They have rising costs of uncompensated care, so either caring for the uninsured or people that can't afford to pay for their care. There was a pretty scathing inspector general report about how they had growing bills at the end of every fiscal year. They had to bring in Deloitte to do an outside audit. Commissioners seemed very upset that they weren't getting a clear sense of exactly what was going on in terms of finances over at Cook County Health. So he was let go in November before this started to heat up. And then in February, their chief financial officer was also let go. And then about three weeks into this pandemic really starting to ramp up locally in March, on April 3rd, the head of Cook County's Department of 
Public Health, which is a subsidiary of Cook County Health, was also let go. And we were not given a complete accounting of why he needed to leave right then or if there were specific public health failings that led to him needing to be let go. So I called around to a lot of commissioners, called around to as many county insiders as I could to try to figure out exactly why he was let go. And we still don't have a completely clear answer. Um, What President Preckwinkle has said is uh, he was gifted at education and communication, but what we need right now are operations and it is time for different leadership. Officials at Cook County Health do not comment on personnel issues. And of course, there have been rumors, but overall, people express confidence in how Cook County Health is handling this, especially given all the strain that the system is under. But it's a kind of a stunning time to let go of your head of public health, especially um, someone who was so beloved in the African-American community. Dr. Terry Mason, the head of public health, was a longtime physician, had a longtime show on WVON, was someone that a lot of black commissioners on the Cook County Board said they can turn to when they needed someone to kind of hop on a call or reassure people in their communities. And given that this crisis is impacting black communities so much, it's especially striking that he was let go at this time. In your reporting, what is the sense that you got of of what the road ahead will look like for Cook County Health? It's going to be bumpy. I don't have any initial financial estimates. Basically, they had to put on their most money-making activity on hold, which is elective surgeries. That was like the one big thing that they made money on. So them putting that to the side at a crucial time is not helpful at all. They are still going to have to put on a search for a permanent CEO, a permanent CFO, and a permanent head of public health. They had to rearrange their emergency department at Provident Health on the South Side, which ignited protests from workers who said it was putting South Side residents at risk. They got that rearrangement done far ahead of schedule. They said it might take well into May. Turns out they could open it yesterday. But they have put plans to build a brand new Provident Hospital on hold. And the last time I spoke with some members of the Cook County Health Board, they were still having trouble figuring out ways to meet via Zoom to get a good sense of what was happening. That said, Cook County Health has been around for a very long time. Uh, like 180 years. It has gone through a lot. It was around during the 1918 pandemic. I expect it will continue to survive, and it's a priority for President Preckwinkle and members of the board to continue serving the mission, which is to help people regardless of ability to pay and to serve as that safety net to kind of catch people. But again, the financial bit is going to be very difficult to overcome, especially because this COVID crisis is also having a drag effect on county finances overall. 65% of the county's revenues are economically sensitive. So amusement taxes, hotel taxes, vice taxes, and we're also going to see property taxes kind of flipped on their head. Uh, Assessor Fritz Kagey said he's basically going to have to relook at assessments across the county to discover whether COVID is having a big effect on property values. So the county isn't necessarily in a great position to rescue Cook County Health if it needs. Maybe we'll see some kind of federal bailout, but it's this is just having a stress on governments everywhere. And county County was especially vulnerable to it. I want to rewind a little bit. You mentioned the jail. What is the latest there? So 215 detainees have tested positive. Six have died. 183 are now recovering. 219 sheriff's office employees have tested positive. So about the same number as detainees are positive. 102 are now recovering. There's ongoing testing of both detainees and sheriff staff. So sheriff staff are getting tested with the help of Roseland Hospital. So they'll drive up and can get tested. And they all go through temperature checks before they start the day. And then there's testing on the inside at Cermak Health Services for detainees 
detainees. They've reduced the jail population by quite a bit. They will tell you a billion times that at one point, the standing jail population on any given day was usually around 10,000 people. Now it's below 4,500. That is a combination of years of bond reform that criminal justice stakeholders in Cook County have undertaken. So board president, Chief Judge Timothy Evans, Sheriff Tom Dart, and State's Attorney Kim Fox have been undergoing bail reform efforts for several years, and they had to figure out a way to ramp that up and try to get vulnerable, older detainees out and at-risk detainees out. But the last I spoke with Sheriff Tom Dart, he said, you know, the reason that we are considered a hotspot is because we were one of the first jails to do extensive testing. He's basically angry that he's getting pegged for being a hotspot, though he was ahead of the curve. There have since been protests at the jail saying, you know, these are people that are not convicted of a crime. These are people accused of a crime, and they should not be put at risk in this way just because they're accused of a crime. But Dart will tell you 85, 86% of the people that remain at the jail are accused of very violent crimes or have very violent records. And we are, we don't want to release them yet. He has been since ordered by a judge to have more sanitary procedures in place, offer soap and sanitizers to detainees. He's trying his best to get every detainee down to a single cell. They had to reopen a building that they call the barracks to house some quarantine patients. And then of course they have folks at CIRMAC Health Services on site. And they have usually around 20 people who are in rougher shape due to COVID out at local hospitals. But it's going to continue to be a challenge as they welcome new um, new arrestees in. Crime is still a thing in Chicago. People are still getting arrested for offenses. And he will have to continually do really aggressive testing to figure out who is safe, who is not safe, and where to how to separate folks out and give people a safe space to quarantine so that this kind of petri dish setting is abated a little bit. I'm sure there'll be plenty more to talk about in the days ahead and weeks ahead. But I thank you for taking the time to talk about it today. Sure. Thank you. Coming up, ESPN's sports-starved viewers set a ratings record for the Last Dance documentary, and it will probably not be any surprise to learn that Chicago was the top market for the series' first night. More about that story and others right after this word from our sponsor. Crane's Daily Gist is brought to you by Barnes & Thornburg, a national law firm that believes in providing uncommon value for clients who shape our everyday lives. Barnes & Thornburg, at the heart of business in Chicago, across the nation, and around the world. Online at btlaw.com. For a daily roundup of stories about how the coronavirus outbreak is affecting businesses and the economy, sign up for our free newsletter at chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update. That's all one word, coronavirus update. Also, the paywall has been dropped for all coronavirus stories at chicagobusiness.com, but we encourage you to consider subscribing to support our journalism. And if you receive cranes in print at the office and you're missing it while you're working from home, know that you can always access the electronic edition anytime at Chicago chicagobusiness.com slash digital edition. Looking to today's stories, the U.S. Treasury Department dispersed $2.9 billion to passenger airlines in the first round of payroll assistance after the industry took a big financial hit from the pandemic shutdown. The aid that has been handed out so far went to two major and 54 smaller passenger carriers, the department said in a statement late yesterday, adding that more payments will be sent out on a rolling basis. The Treasury Department didn't say which carriers received the money yet. However, it did say that American, Delta, Southwest, and Chicago-based United have struck agreements for aid. The Treasury also said that Allegiant Air and Spirit Airlines have also both reached a deal for payroll assistance. Five others have said they plan to participate, Alaska Air, Frontier Airlines, Hawaiian Airlines, JetBlue, and SkyWest. The aid gives U.S. carriers resources to keep going as the COVID-19 pandemic and government travel restrictions have mostly tanked demand for commercial flying and plunged the world's airlines into their worst-ever crisis. 
State Farm, the largest personal lines insurer in the state, is contributing $10 million to small business relief in Illinois. The Bloomington-based insurance giant is giving the money in the form of a low-interest loan to LISC Chicago, a nonprofit that makes loans and grants to small businesses and organizations in less developed and lower-income areas. LISC will in turn distribute the money to projects and businesses in downstate Illinois and the Chicago area, according to a release. State Farm's describing the infusion as an emergency response to the coronavirus pandemic. The $10 million fund will emphasize the needs of women, minority, and veteran-owned businesses, nonprofits with revenue lower than $5 million, and small lenders designated as community financial development institutions. State Farm has funded LASC for 20 years and has provided an average of $7.5 million annually over that time. Private equity firm KKR is once again U.S. Food's largest shareholder. The Rosemont-based food company said today that it sold $500 million in newly issued convertible preferred stock to aid the company as the food industry struggles with the pandemic and shutdown of restaurants. The deal represents an approximately 9.6% stake in pro forma common shares, making KKR the largest shareholder above investment manager Vanguard. For background, in 2007, KKR and other partners acquired U.S. Foods for 7.1%. In 2013, KKR agreed to sell U.S. foods to the country's largest food distributor, Cisco, for $8.2 billion. But the federal government blocked that deal, and U.S. foods pivoted to an IPO in February 2016. As part of this agreement, U.S. foods is expected to appoint Nate Taylor to its board. Taylor is a partner and co-head of America's private equity at KKR. And in one final story for today, with live sports on hold, ESPN viewers ate up the first episode of its Michael Jordan series, The Last Dance, setting a ratings record for the documentary airing on the network. Some 6.3 million viewers tuned in to ESPN and its sister network, ESPN2, for the first installment that started Sunday night. The second episode, which ran right after, averaged a slightly lower 5.8 million viewers. Probably unsurprisingly, Chicago was the top market in terms of share of audience. The Disney-owned network has seen the largest declines among major cable channels since the COVID-19 pandemic forced most live sporting events to be postponed or canceled. ESPN, like other sports channels, has scrambled for content that people will want to watch, adding replays of famous matches and more documentary content. The 10-part Jordan documentary, which chronicles the basketball greats' final championship-winning season with the Chicago Bulls, was originally scheduled for June, but ESPN was able to move it up to make up for live events not happening. This week, ESPN is also gearing up for the NFL Draft, which, of course, starts on Thursday. Until tomorrow, that's all for Crane's Daily Gist. Special thanks to producer Haima Black, as well as to today's guest, A.D. Quigg. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, and find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories most on your mind. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here tomorrow.